Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of the Roll Doll Retrospective, where we're going to be doing a commentary on the 1996 film Matilda. I am Patricia. And uh, my name is Aaron, and uh, we never really actually got to do one of these before. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be quite an interesting thing for us. So, um, if you're following along with us uh, whilst watching the movie, then, uh, yeah, that's uh, really cool for you to do that. But uh, if not, then, uh, yeah, you're just going to listen to us kind of just... Uh, Run and ramble along uh, while a movie's playing on in the background. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So when it comes to Roald Dahl adaptations, this is hands down the most popular. If it's not Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, then it's Matilda, which is the most beloved. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, you know, surprised by it because if you remember when this film came out in 1996, it was a financial failure. It only made $33 million out of his $36 million budget. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, whereabouts in the Mara Wilson cinemography is this? Is this like, uh, was this like a, not her debut I would say, but I was like as a protagonist? Um, yeah, I mean, she was in, as you probably already know, she was already in various other movies. She was in Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, I believe that she was on the Middle Miracle on 34th Street. So, yeah, this is one of her later uh, features until her last film that she starred in was Thomas and the Magic Railroad. And by the way, this isn't actually Mara Wilson herself, actually. This is just some... No, it's baby. not, yeah. <laughs> there were a ton of other babies and... Uh, pre- uh, toddlers who actually played as Mara Wilson. If you can believe it, Mara Wilson was not going to be the first choice for Matilda. It was actually going to be these twin girls that they were going to film interchangeably for various scenes, kind of like how they did for Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen for Full House. Yeah, well, that's, 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 got... that's just kind of like uh, you know movie selection in general, isn't it? Like you know, Mike Myers wasn't originally going to be Shrek, was he? So like, uh... no, that's true. Yeah, uh, so. Uh, the girls got sick with the flu when they were just about to shoot, and they had to scramble by to see if they can choose somebody else to play as Matilda, and lo and behold, we have Mara Wilson, and a lot of people say that this is the best role that she's ever portrayed as. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you can definitely tell from the get-go, like, uh, this is a, this is definitely Roald Dahl's world. <laughs> you can definitely tell that, you know, uh, the baby's being left in, like, uh, you know, the car, and, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. if you can believe it, like, there haven't been really a lot of attempts of Americanizing Roll Doll works, because a lot of them do tend to have that British appeal. I mean, even with, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, The Witches, and um, even to some extent with, like, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and all the others, this is, like, you know, mostly Americanized, with the exception of one character that we'll see later on in the film, but... Um, if you were, if you remember, if you ever read the book, that yes, Matilda is essentially a British um, children's novel, and you know they actually swapped around a lot of things. Like for example, the portrayal of Mister and Missus Wormwood. It was supposed to be the case in which like Missus Wormwood was supposed to be really heavy set, while Mister Wormwood was was supposed to be like as skinny as a rake. But because they cast um, uh, Danny DeVito and Rhea. Uh, Rhea Perlman, who were married at the time, they decided to swap the bodies, and I guess for a lot of people, they don't seem to really matter, um, mind that at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know what, like, uh, it's funny that uh, they do all these um, um, these segments and everything, showing how uh, Matilda's, like, so self-reliant in this in this movie, and everything. And, uh, yeah. Like, I'm surprised it doesn't inspire a lot of kids to kind of, like, you know, do stuff themselves. 
now. Mm-hmm. And the song that is playing in the background right now is called Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root, which featured in 1994 or 95. And it was like hugely popular when this song came out uh, and Matilda. It was like one of the more highly requested songs on radio, yeah. which is kind of crazy to think. Right, you, it makes more sense than putting Gangnam Style in the nut job, if you remember that. Oh thing. my god, yeah, yeah I remember. Oh, well, Gangnam anyway, style. but... <laughs> very true, very true. But yeah, the original composer for Matilda, uh, he actually would be a composer for Ice Age, and he included that song, Send Me On My Way, in the soundtrack, if you remember when, you know, the, the characters are sending the baby over to the... Um, you know the the human village so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess you could say that that is kind of like a little bit of a tie-in yeah so uh i'm surprised that uh, she's not uh, using the uh yellow pages to call child protective services but that's this movie but uh... <laughs> yeah well i mean it's very similar to how it was in the book in which like matilda is wise beyond her years and she was able to do so much at a very young age and uh, it's very similar to what she did in the book, in which she decided to walk back and forth to the library so that she. I love be this able shot they do here, where like they have the big massive truck and like just her just kind of like, just walking past the bumper, like it just shows like how how. Ma- and this is the good thing. I love how this uh, movie is actually shot. Like it shows how big the world is in the eyes of uh, our protagonist here. Like you know, and uh, everything yeah, here exactly. looks quite intimidating. You know? Yeah, it does. Uh, it does put you into the perspective of a child. There's a lot of panning shots. Uh, there's a lot of zoom in, zoom outs. I mean, you could definitely tell with the camera operators, they probably had to like crouch down so they can be able to get various shots of everything that they needed so that it can show uh, the audience that this is the, this, you know, this is how the perspective of a child is. Either that or it's uh, bring your child to work day and they just get the kids to move the cameras around. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, there are, there are a lot of changes in the book because if you recall when um, Matilda starts going back and forth to the library, uh, you know, she starts in the children's section at first, but then she starts reading it and she's not really that impressed with it. And so she starts asking for more uh, mature books like, uh, you know, with um, various authors such as Ernest Hemingway, George Orwell, Charles Dickens, and her knowledge of books becomes you know immensely seen throughout the book well in here i think one of the smartest things that they've done here is that matilda is smart but she's still a child and you don't really kind of see that a lot in the book because in the book i mean matilda is like super intelligent and you, you don't really see that much of a child's perspective in her because she's supposed to be like the smart one while everybody else is either really mean or they are not very smart so yeah. i'm glad that they kind of toned down the the, yeah. the intelligence of matilda yeah, he's watching this relatable. scene it, it kind of makes me feel like uh, i really would have loved to have seen an episode of hey arnold where uh, helga pataki would have like you know befriended like this older uh, older uh, woman in a library this librarian and like uh, that's how she basically got her acuteness you know, for like yeah. uh, her love for like reading and like arts and things like that. You know, yeah. Like, uh, and, and, and I have to say that I absolutely love the soundtrack here. Like this particular song right here, where she's going in and out of the library, is one of my favorites because it just fits the whimsicalness yet the sadness so well. Who's the composer? David Newman. Oh, da- oh, David Newman. Oh, cool. What else? Did yeah, he n- do? Not, no, no relation to Randy, Randy Newman. Newman. <laughs> Matilda, <laughs> reading the books. <laughs> 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 Her parents are super mean, and they don't understand her at all. You pay Randy now. 
Anyway, but yeah, they aged Matilda up in this movie. In the original book, I believe that she's either four or five years old. Well, they decided to make her six and a half, which was a little bit more closer to uh, Mara Wilson's age at the time. And I think that um, the behind-the-scenes stuff of Matilda is really interesting. If any of you guys have the Blu-ray of Matilda, where you get to see like the Matilda reunion, as well as the commentary from Danny DeVito, where he discusses about various scenes, it's it's actually really interesting. I highly recommend that if you are watching the Blu-ray of this movie while you know listening to our commentary, then you know go check those stuff out if you haven't. Here's something interesting. I know Mara Wilson has attended conventions. Has Danny DeVito ever attended like panels or anything like that? Maybe he has, maybe for like It's Sunny in Philadelphia and some other stuff, but I don't know if they ever did a Matilda panel. I mean, they, they should. Well, no, no, no. I, just meant, I just meant Danny DeVito in general. Like, you know, if, oh, uh, yeah. Maybe like, he has. You know, like, because, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I, I know people who have, like, met Mara Wilson, like, behind the scenes, and they, she's, like, a really nice person from what from what I gather. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, it's been interesting to see what, you know, uh, how is anyway. I know Danny DeVito's probably got his fans as well, but. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and. Uh, Anyway, but yeah, as you saw earlier in the scene in which, like, Michael, which is, who is Matilda's brother, is very mean to her. In the book, he was not like this at all. He was actually the nicest out of everybody, but the problem was is that he was just so boring. You know something, just I'm just looking, at, just looking at this now, Danny DeVito kind of reminds me kind of reminds me of Gomez from uh, the Addams Family if he was shrunk in the wash. Yeah, yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? <laughs> he's creepy and he's kooky. That mustache is really doofy. Whatever. <laughs> okay. We're the Wormwood family. <laughs> okay, so this scene was also in the book as well, where he's telling his family about like how much money he was able to make from selling used cars that were obviously rigged and broken down on purpose so that he can be able to profit the benefits. And I think that that's actually really interesting if you saw in the background that they have Budweiser's in the, in, you know, right there in the table when it's obviously for kids. Yeah. And uh, it's just the one thing I would say about um, the way that, uh, you know, the, he conducts his operations like it's uh, that was a big problem, I think, back in the time that they were making this movie. Like there were a lot of lots that were like, you know, rigging cars and stuff like that. And uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot, lot owners were getting into trouble for doing that. You know, so like yeah. uh, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, now, now, here's the thing that I've always noticed, even when I was a kid when watching this movie, when Harry was given off the numbers and Matilda says it's $10,265. That's actually wrong. The correct amount is actually $12,265. But that's just a minor nitpick. So this is the first scene in which when Matilda decides to get revenge on her parents for treating her so horribly, which is your typical Roald Dahl thing in which, oh, you know, the par- you know, the, uh, there's a timid yet optimistic kid who has to go through really mean guardians. Do, do you know what's so interesting? Like, uh, you know, I'm, and uh, I'm sorry if I'm going into like, you know, more societal kind of like issues here, but uh, you know, there's a lot of kids who react in different ways to like, you know, abuse and things like that and neglect and stuff like that. And so, you know, the uh, the, the the typical kind of like, you know, TV kind of like version of it is kind of like, uh, you know, oh, a kid will like, you know, go off the rails and go into crime and things like that. But then you have like this situation where Matilda is uh, obviously rebelling against her parents, but doing it in kind of like a you know, uh, more comedic way rather than like, uh, and you know, so that as well. Like, she will go on to like, uh, you know, be, uh, you know, you know, wanting to be more intellectual about things rather than kind of like going the other the other side. 
if you know what I mean. Right. So like, yeah, yeah, she's not Helga from Hey Arnold, in which she's really angry and really pessimistic about everything, and she is kind of distant from everybody, with the exception of only a handful of people. Mm -hmm. Now, now here's the thing for those who have actually read the book, that it's actually a reversal of the things that Matilda does. You see, the first thing that Matilda does in the book is that she adds glue to her father's hat, and then it gets stuck into his hair, and then she does the hair dye. So in this one, they actually swapped it, which actually makes a lot more sense because there's a progression between the hair dye from the hat getting stuck and then having his head completely chopped off, looking really, really bad. So I think it was very smart. Actually, I think, uh, was there ever a scene in the original Matilda book that uh, they actually, the, the, the father actually took both the kids to, uh, well, took the kids to the... Uh, um, to his to his place of business. No, there was never a scene like that. I mean, the only time in which we do get something like that was when his father starts talking to um, Michael and Matilda off conversations, like, "Oh, this is how I do things." It's like, you know, the car runs as sweet as a nut, which is obviously from Roald Dahl, you know. And this is when Matilda's like, "Oh man, Daddy, you're cheating. You can't do this." And then he's like, "Oh, what do you know? You're just a stupid child." <laughs> Now, this is something that is clearly not from the book. It's like, there's, I mean, obviously Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood didn't have candy and chocolate and cookies for breakfast. In the book, it was a typical English breakfast. It's like sausage, baked beans, toast, eggs, bacon. It was overboard, like unbelievably over the top. But I guess because there is this whole message about like, the kids are acting like adults and the adults are acting like children. Which I remember when this movie was being promoted on Nickelodeon and Danny DeVito was, you know, giving like little snippets about the movie. And he was saying like, oh, you know, the kids are uh, the adults and the adults are the kids and there's no kissing in this movie, which there clearly is. Uh, it's kind of like a fake thing. It's like, oh, kissing gross. Okay, this the, the bit was definitely not in the book. It was like people weren't spying oh, on yeah, yeah. The only, the only time in which you do Is that the guy from Pete? Is that guy Pee Wee Herman? Yes, it is. This is actually Paul Rubens, and he, yeah, he is Pee Wee Herman. And the guy who's over there is actually the guy who played as Bob the Goon from Batman. So there is actually a Batman reference in this movie, where we have Danny DeVito, who played as the Penguin, Paul Rubens, who played as the Penguin's father, and the guy who played as Bob the Goon. So, yes, there is actually a bit of a Batman reference in Matilda. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, good. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I like the way that... Uh, the whole lot is kind of like you know uh, a complete mess in a way, and uh, yeah, yeah kind of make it sound like it's a it's a half half fast you know um, operation and stuff. And yeah, so. which they do briefly talk about in the book, but here in this movie, it's a lot more detailed, which I do appreciate because you get to see the scumminess of the cars that Mr. Wormwood is selling, and they added in the police into the movie because they wanted to show about how much of a criminal that he is which the only time in which you get to see that in the book is towards the end when they're trying to run away to spain because of all the allegations that mr wormwood was doing for his cars when people were complaining about how faulty they were mm -hmm. so i think like uh, are these like i don't see how much research roldal did for this kind of like uh, this thing I mean, are these actually like real things actually you know people who cheat cars do 
Oh, absolutely. Like this scene right here where um, Mr. Wormwood is like taking the drill and he's doing it in reverse. Roald Dahl said that he actually knew somebody who did that and he decided to implement that into the book, which, of course, if we already know from Roald Dahl, pretty much a lot of things that he experienced from his life were implemented in pretty much every single one of his children's books. Hmm. Um, I, believe what Craig, I believe Craig Ballard also told me that Big Bob Pataki was also based on uh, you know, a crooked car dealer or something like that. So, like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how, like, these uh, great creative geniuses of our time seem to run into, like, uh, dodgy car dealers pretty much the time, and they end up they end up in their creative material. Right. <laughs> And right here we have the second thing that Matilda does is that she adds glue into her father's hair and he can't be able to pull it out because it's stuck. Hmm. Now here's the thing. Now in the book, Mrs. Wormwood did play a lot of bingo. Now it was never mentioned about like her winning a round of bingo or them going over to the restaurant, which happens a little later on. But I guess because we needed to, you know, show that, hey, we need to have a reason for Mr. Wormwood to pull out his hat, then that's why they decided to put this scene in, which I think, I think in my opinion, it works. Yeah, this is actually a really painful scene, actually thinking about it, because, like, I was really thinking that uh, this was, uh, we're going to see, like, you know, uh, that was basically, like, on the skin on his head. You would have thought they would, like, rip it all off and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, it's actually so interesting because I think I remember like reading something on the Matilda wiki or something that they actually have, um, like the Ritz is supposed to be like a European restaurant that I believe is either Yeah, it's, Dutch, uh, yeah there's a, but, the Ritz in London, so uh, it's... Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, they're speaking French, which, yeah, that's kind of weird. A lot of people were even mentioning that. It's like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a British restaurant, but they're French. But yeah, but yeah, this scene is actually pretty ugh, like painful to watch. Like you know, trying to pull out a hat is like, oh, you know, there's a fancy place and you can't pull out your hat, and people are just looking at you. It's like, what's going on here? What is this? And yeah, that's actually pretty hilarious. <laughs> and another thing that I have to mention here is that the um, the pastry that uh, Matilda ends up getting. Uh, Christy Carlton Romano on her YouTube channel where they do baking, they actually recreated this pastry dish with Mara Wilson as a guest, and it, it actually looked really tasty. I actually want to make that for myself as somebody who loves baking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the... Um, I think I was going to go to now. Uh, I agree that was really... I know this is not real, but uh, I, can still, you can still, I can still feel like it's kind of like this band across my forehead of like this thing being stuck on his head. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, in the book, it's more when real Mrs. than when Wormwood I saw this guy getting his legs sawn off in saw. So, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the book where Mrs. Wormwood was trying to cut around Harry's hair, there was like a major gap on his hair that was missing, which. I mean, you can't really see too much because, you know, Danny DeVito was already bald. But, yeah, I mean, in the book, it was brutal. Like, his hair was practically missing throughout the majority of the, of the book, and everybody was making fun of it. Yeah, and this is another thing that you're going to, you know, see a lot in these World Doll adaptations, especially with, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factories. Like, TV is bad and books are good, <laughs> which, of course, is to be expected of somebody like World Doll who wrote books and he thought that television was, like, the worst invention ever made. 
Yeah, like, uh, so in this book, like, uh, it was, uh, I mean, I don't know, like, in this, this is kind of, like, uh, a bit, they did this differently from what they did in the book. I mean, obviously, Matilda was very upset about what happens to the book in this, but, uh, um, obviously, in this, she just kind of, like, starts taking the, you can see she starts uh, getting her, like, her mind powers in this, and, uh, so. Right. Now, in the book, Matilda was reading The Red Pony by John Steinbeck, and Mr. Wormwood was very upset with it. He's like, oh, I'm not going to have my daughter read a book written by an American. I don't want you to have weird ideas about, you know, what is written in these books. But in this one, it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for an American audience, so they decided to change it to Moby Dick because, oh, ha ha ha, it's Dick. So... Here's the thing, like, they, she never develops her powers in this part of the book. She doesn't get in until she confronts, uh, you know, Miss Trunchbull, and yeah. then she accidentally tips water over. Well, yeah, like, I, think it's, to... uh, I think eventually, I think, I think they had to, like, uh, you know, start kind of bringing into the idea that she has this kind of, like, this, this special gift to me, because that's going to be... Uh... They made that the big part of the movie, so I think that was... Uh... Yeah, and the TV shows that they would be watching were mostly soap operas, not game shows or wrestling matches or boxing matches or stuff like well, that. Yeah, it's like, they, I, think they, I think they had to... It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's an American slant on this, so obviously that's bringing trash TV. Is, that is like the trashiest thing you would ever see on TV. It's like, oh yeah, put glue all over yourself and whatever money is stuck on you, you get to keep it. It's like... That's something that you would probably see in the 70s if somebody was, like, drunk out of their minds. Yeah, so oh, this yeah. is the first indication of Matilda developing her powers. And, you know, like, uh, I'm really surprised that, I mean, uh, I can't remember exactly what phase she actually kind of goes through here. I guess we're going to find out pretty much now, but, uh, like, um, is she aware that she did that, or is she, like, uh, no, she's not... Aware. No, she's not aware of it just yet. She's just, she just, she's just as shocked as the family is. It's like, oh, what happened? So she doesn't know about it just yet. Now, in the book, it was mentioned that Miss Trunchbull did purchase a car from Mr. Wormwood, but it was said not showcase so the fact that we actually do get to see this scene where it not only foreshadows miss trunchbull and how tall she is but also of how matilda ended up going over to the school that she would go to in a few moments crunch him hall so i like the uh, i like how it's all um put together in this and uh, like it just kind of shows like oh well uh, that's a bit of a spoiler, but, uh, like, uh, it would be nice to kind of, like, to kind of keep hold of it, uh, like, the mystery of, like, what she kind of looked like uh, to, uh, in the beginning bit. And then after that, they would then, uh, you know, move, they would move over to uh, actually revealing her, like, when she finally gets into the school and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the original book, Crunchham Hall was a private British academy, which makes a lot of sense because Roald Dahl would go to those academies when he was a boy, and he hated those experiences. I mean, it's apparent if you read Danny the Champion of the World and Matilda of his My God, disgust. it looks like a, it looks like an old factory. Yeah, exactly. So they decided to change Crunchham Hall into a public school as opposed to a British private school. And yeah, it, it does look like an old factory. It's like falling apart. There's like little to no equipment for kids to play in. And here we have the introduction of Pam Ferris as Miss Trunchbull, which many people consider to be one of the best antagonists in a Roald Dahl um, adaptation. Mm -hmm. Now we talked about this in Danny the Champion of the World about how the 
teacher was like this strict militaristic person who carried around a whipping cane and he was like really mean and disciplined. And the same thing happened with the portrayal of Miss Trunchbull in which he, you know, she's a very similar character as well. But what made her so memorable was that she took extremes that the principal, that the teacher from Danny the Champion of the World never did, like sending kids over to the chokey and then throwing them around all over the place and being incredibly mean with her unorthodox punishments. Now, this is the first introduction of her friend Lavender, which in the movie, they actually em emphasized the friendship a lot more, while Matilda and Lavender didn't really hang out with each other. And Hortensia was originally supposed to be a bully. She was always making fun of the kids, and she was only in that one particular scene where, you know, they first met. But here, they decided to, you know, uh, flesh out the characters just a little bit more and give more backstory into, um, you know, uh, Miss Trunchbull. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mean, they're looking at um, I mean, look at our kids. I mean, obviously uh, they look pretty talented, actually, for some of the kids. Some of what they kind of really need to do. Like uh, we've we've seen some. Like I remember in uh, like Stuart Little and like uh, various other uh, uh, shows where I mean like, movies where they uh, make um, they try and give kids um, you know uh, some sort of direction, but they just you know you can tell that they're still inexperienced and just can't follow it. But in this, you know, like uh, they take direction very well. Looks of it, yeah, so. like they act like like real kids. They are scared. They're trying to keep a low profile so that they don't get put into the chokey or they don't get punished. I don't think you know kids act like kids all the time, but you know, like I think they've got more an idea of like the motivation of their character and they've got an idea of where you know what uh, the character is currently going through. I think they've got far more ideas of it. That's my that's, yeah yeah. Now, it's actually really nice that we do get to see the Chokey in more detail, because in the book, it was just described, and Matilda never goes into the Chokey in the book. But in the movie, she does, and we do get to get another foreshadowing about how menacing the original, you know, the Chokey was. Like, that is not a room that you want to go into. And in the book, it describes it even more in detail about how horrible it was. Okay. Yeah. Now, this particular scene where we have her approaching Amanda Threp with her pigtails, and this does kind of happen in the book in a way, but it, it doesn't happen this soon. It actually happens a lot later on in the book. And this is classic Roll Doll right over here where she says, your mommy is a twit. Because what American says that? Like, seriously. Yeah. Now, from what I understood in the um, um, Matilda reunion, that what they did for the actress who played as Amanda, they put her in a harness and she was able to fly up into the sky and land like perfectly safe and she here's the thing she barely made it like for real she barely made it <laughs> i mean it was she was really close to getting stuck into those um spikes in the fences and i think that um you know with um she i, I think that it was even mentioned in the reunion that she actually had a really good time with it she wasn't afraid of heights and she actually wanted to go another round. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, no, 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 we got the scene where we wanted. You know, you did a really good job. So, 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, for a kid, it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm scared. It's like, I, I don't want to experience anything like that again. But no, she actually had a blast with that scene. It's like, I got to fly. Okay, now Who's she played by? Yeah. Uh. Um, Embeth Davids. And she wasn't originally supposed to play as Miss Honey. If you can believe it, you know the actress who was in uh, Law & Order SVU? Yeah. She was supposed to play Miss Honey. But for some reason or another, she wasn't called in to do the movie. I think maybe she was busy with other things. But uh, yeah, she ended up playing as Miss Honey. Now, in the book, it was said that Miss Honey was 22 years old. And she was just starting off as a teacher. But they decided yeah. to take her up here. And they decided to um, give her still that tragic backstory that we'll get to later on. And I think that was a smart choice that they did because in the book, it seemed like Miss Honey was hiding like something. She wasn't like always happy. She, she, I mean, she pretended that she had a happy face when it comes to teaching her students. And Matilda was the one who was like helping her out a lot more than Miss Honey helping Matilda out. I'm glad that they were able to give that um, decision where they decided to add the age and give her more experience as opposed to just her starting out as a teacher. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, I, I don't think they could have put her right straight in at 22 years old, I don't think. Like, I think they need to mature in this movie. I think visually, I think she looks far more, you know, mother-like, I think, probably, you know, and uh, spoiler for the end, <laughs> end of the movie. But, uh, like... Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the I think the casting I think was probably done pretty well. Man, this guy, mind you, when you really think about it, the casting they really did like the seat of their pants in some way because obviously they had all these uh, issues that uh, they had that were unforeseen, and all of a sudden they had to rush out to try and get people. You know, like yeah, as mentioned before, you know, Mar wasn't as Matilda. Exactly. Anyway, in the original book, Matilda was the only one who knew about multiplication, and none of the other students knew about it. So I'm glad, once again, that they didn't make it Matilda's like, oh, she's the smart one, and, and nobody else could compare. They decided to make the students, they know their times tables, but they know the basic times tables, while Matilda knows the advanced times tables, which, again, plays into her intelligence, but not making her into a complete Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've, I think it's unfair to call Matilda and Mary Sue, I think, in this, because she clearly she has, have. she does have her faults. Yeah, like... Exactly. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like, at the, like, at the very beginning, like, you can see that she's unable to control her powers. So, like, uh, you know, at the, the very beginning, when she blew the TV set off, I'm sure she didn't mean to do that. So... Uh, right, and you have to understand that she was mostly raised by her parents who didn't want anything to do with her. And she didn't really interact with a lot of people, so that's why she is the way she is. Mm. And here's that scene right there where she was talking about, like, Dolls Chickens, which is a reference to the BFG, when the BFG was mentioning about the books that he knew uh, when talking to Sophie. Yeah. I mean, one thing you'll find that in all these movies, uh, Roald Dolls um, stories always tie into one another. It's kind of like, uh, it seems like the universes are, I mean, even the, like, the, the, the various places, they're all aware of, like, they're in this universe. If anything, yeah, I mean, we even talked about this with um, uh, James and the Giant Peach, in which there's like, uh, you know, like tiny little references to uh, the other adaptations, Danny the Champion of the World, BFG, um, yeah, even with like James, you know, with, with Will, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, you could even argue that you know all of these stories take place in the same universe. Now, this is a really good scene right here because you can clearly see that Miss um, Trunchbull is just has a hatred for her job and for children. 
she just wants to be authoritative just for the sake of keeping people in line and and it's great foreshadowing that i like um, how in, in the background she's got a uh, saying say thou shalt not kill <laughs> that is so ironic Yeah, like the concept of a smart child is like a, an anomaly for Miss Trunchbull because she thinks of children as like, you know, pathetic, stupid little worms who need to be disciplined and grow up to be miserable adults like she is. Wait, wait, makes uh, which doesn't make all that much sense, really. Like, how's this school still open if it's like if it's churning out kids that are just you know incapable of like uh, you know doing anything in the world? Again, no. very similar to Roll Dolls. You know, he grew up around the 1930s, you know, that's how it was back in the day. Like, you know, people were very disciplined. If you did something wrong, whipped in the cane or you used a belt to, you know, smack in the hand or something like that. So these are based off of real life experiences. But when the book came out in 1938, you know, stuff like this wasn't done anymore. So they decided to just play the over-the-topness of the cruelty of the teachers, you know, especially when it came to adaptations of Roald Dahl books. Mara Wilson's adorable in this, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. She's like, yeah, and you, she's like the sweet little girl that everybody wants. Oh, yeah, my. she's like uh, the next door neighbor uh, that, you know, you get to see and she's like outside selling lemonade for five cents. Yeah, and uh, then uh, the next day you turn out and there's police tape all over the door, over, over the walls and uh, you find out that, uh, yeah, something terrible has just happened. So, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh dear. Well, you just asked me how school was. Trying to look, she's got. Uh, for me, I thought. Uh, you, know, you know what would be funny if they made like. When was Men in Black? Uh, Men in Black came out in. What was it? 97? So it was a couple of years after this movie, wasn't it? So, uh, one year after. One year afterwards, yeah. It would be funny if she had like, quantum, like a quantum physics book. Kind of like, you know, like a reference to like, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the one uh, thing that Will Smith shot in the, uh, <laughs> in the, in the basic firearms <laughs> training. I'm curious, what company produced Men in Black? Um, that's a good question, actually. Because, I mean, this was done by TriStar. So, I mean, if they could have snuck in maybe a Men in Black reference, that would have been interesting. So, yeah, once again, um, this is the scene in which when Miss Honey goes over to the parents' house to, to talk about how well she's doing. And this is a very similar scene in the book in which they're talking about, like, oh, you know, we don't give money to charity. We don't like people um, asking us for donations and stuff like that. And uh, Mrs. Hun Honey is, like, concerned about, like, you know, her parents' upbringing, especially when they care more about the soap opera that's being played as opposed to them talking about their own child. Mm -hmm. So I'm just yeah, this. I like this scene where, like, you know, you see, you know, the... Because, you know, you got Miss Honey, who's really caring for Matilda at this point, and then you've got Danny DeVito, who just doesn't care whatsoever. And, like, uh, it's just interesting dynamics how, you know, these characters are going to play off one another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, this is obviously more foreshadowing to what will happen later, in which Miss Honey is seeing the cruelty and the underappreciation that Matilda's going through, which is actually for, um, foreshadowing to what she experienced in her life when she was raised by Miss Trunchbull when her parents died. Mm -hmm. So she knew exactly how Matilda felt. But she was underappreciated, she was treated cruelly, she nobody cared about her, and she was pretty much all on her own. And that's why Matilda and Miss Honey 
uh, works together because they went through similar things. You know, like, I'm just trying to think, you know, uh, all the uh, product placements in this movie, have you noticed that it's just like, you know, the antagonistic characters that are, like, using the beverages? When you really think yeah. about it, like, you know, like, well, what were the, I would really like to think what the companies would have thought back then. You know, I will always think about it now. Now that they look at, you know, the fact that, oh, it's all the bad, it's all the terrible characters that we don't like that are basically using our products. Yeah. Like, yeah it doesn't, it doesn't look great, does it? <laughs> exactly. There's another classic role doll line about, like, I chose, you chose books, I chose looks, which, you know, you know, when looking at, like, in the book where Miss Wormwood is, like, really heavy set with her curly hair, which is completely dyed and manufactured, I mean, it's just, like, really over the top. It's, uh, you know, I think it was, like, described as, like, you know, putting makeup on a pig. Now, I think that what's interesting about this particular moment right there about, like, where she's talking about, like, oh, uh, what if somebody sold you a faulty car and this was not intentional because she was just trying to make up a point about how important school was but again this is emphasizing about like oh the wormwoods have something to hide that they don't want anybody else to know about they're being sued they're being watched over so again this is great you know continuing foreshadowing without being you know so heavy-handed mm -hmm. i like how she's like hiding stuff around the house to her to uh yeah, she has to because obviously her parents won't care about it. I mean, they saw her carrying around books; they're gonna obviously gonna rip it up. How loud is she speaking? In which the loudspeaker is like almost to the point of breaking. Yeah, to so the point where a guy probably on the back is having to point the finger through the thing to insinuate how loud the speaker actually is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, now we have this scene. Bruce Bogtrother, otherwise known as, according to the official Roald Dahl cookbook, Augustus Gloop, if he was empathetic. Yeah. No, I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, mind you, like, doesn't this kind of show... I mean, obviously, they're showing this to, obviously, you know, um, as a kind of like, oh, this kid's going to get punished for doing that and he's going to get his comeuppance and that. But uh, if you think in this scene, like, uh, you know, it makes Miss Trunchbull actually look kind of weak in in this. And uh, let me explain now, why. In the, so, yeah. in the original book, from what I understand, that Bruce Bogtrotter was actually eating the cake from the kitchen behind Miss Trunchbull's back and then he was captured and then Miss Trunchbull decided to punish him. But in the movie, it was... I mean, it's not exactly clear if Bruce even did it or not. Now, at what point were you going to say? Sorry, like, because uh, uh, if you th well, he's they're going to bring out the cake and then he's going to eat it all, and then obviously the whole place is cheering because obviously he's managed to do it. So, yeah, no, it was different in the book. In the yeah, book, it was different in the book. Now, in the book, Bruce was more than happy to eat the entire cake. I mean, he was enjoying himself. Until only the last few pieces left, and Matilda was the one cheering for Bruce, while everybody else was staying silent because they didn't want to get in trouble by Miss Trunchbull. Now, in the movie, what they did was is that, again, very similar as I was saying about Matilda's character, they decided to show the struggle of Bruce as he was eating the cake when it was in its entirety. And, and the actor actually hated chocolate cake. In scenes where he actually had to eat it, there was a bucket that he had to, like, spit out the cake because he hated it so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the uh, de dedication of an actor to, uh, obviously, eat, eat this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's like Mel Blanc where he was allergic to carrots, and and he was eating the carrots. And as soon as he was done with that um, recording where he was chewing, he spat it out to prevent him from breaking out into hives and his throat uh, closing in on him. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Mitch Trunchell is the uh, type of leader you want to see He's hanging from a balcony. So uh, Mussolini reference, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just, uh... Yeah, so... Uh, these, these, uh, you know, these scenes kind of, like, drag out, really. Like, there's not really much to say about him. He's just, he's there eating the cake, and he's just in, in, insinuating the uh, fact that he's eating it all. So... Yeah, I mean, at first, it does start slowing down, because it's obviously, oh, she's letting him eat the cake. It's not poison, it's not rigged, it's nothing out of the ordinary. This moment, right over here, is the tense moment, where he has to eat the entire thing in front of his peers. And he will not be excused until it is all gone. And seriously, that part is just disgusting, where she's, like, rubbing her nose, especially if she is you know, working in the cafeteria where she has to be clean. She's not even wearing a hairnet. Her hands are not even washed. Her apron is a mess. She, look at that. She scratches her butt with no care at the world. So, yeah. Just that scene alone is what in increases the intensity of this. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I think that what makes this scene really work in the movie is that you know, Matilda is the one who's thinking about everything because, you know, her friendship with Lavender was kind of downplayed and, you know, obviously Bruce is having the time of his life eating this cake all by himself, but here he's struggling. He is trying his best with one bite at a time. In a way, you they kind of missed an opportunity here. I mean, couldn't they have had, like, Matilda, like, you know, kind of insinuating that she's using her powers to, like, help, uh, you know, uh, uh, the kid get through the gag reflex to like, eat the entire cake. You know, like, like, I mean, how would she do that? I mean, like, her powers would be like more telekinetic, so I mean, what, she would make the cake float up or something? Well, no, she would just, um, I don't know. Like, uh, well, she somehow made the TV explode, you know? Like, uh, like I mean, that was, like, I think that was, like, due to pressure, because I, according to the book, it was said that she was storing so much intelligence in her brain that she wasn't able to let it out, was how she got her powers in the first place. <laughs> now, in the book, as mentioned, yeah, Matilda was the only one who cheered while everybody else was silent, but they decided to make everybody cheer. Because, you know, this came out in the 90s where it was like kids rule and adults rule. So it's like, hey, you know, the kids are the ones who are the heroes and the adults are the bad guys. Yeah. But yeah, because of the cheering, Ruth was able to get the confidence and the gusto to finish the rest of the case with no problems with the rest. And I think that that's a really well done scene because. I mean, in the book, it was just like, oh, he just ate the cake, and that was pretty much it. But here, no, they actually um, made it more tenser, and they actually got the kids to be more involved than they were in the book, which again was pretty rough. Shut up! The entire assembly will stay five hours after school and copy from now, the. Now, clearly, this didn't happen in the book. In the book, Miss Trunchbull was just shocked that you know, he actually ate the cake and they just shoot him away. 
But no, all the I'm kids really. Uh, I mean, did they get him to like? I mean, I'm sure. I really want to know how they did it, where they smashed the smashed the glass over his head. I mean, like, was that? I'm a, sure it was probably like. Um, probably yeah, probably rigged. Yeah, it was probably like a very thin glass, or maybe it wasn't even glass at all. Maybe it was like a like a sugar that they probably just like smashed, and it like didn't hurt him. I mean, you could definitely tell that it was not real glass. That's the biggest lie I ever heard. You see those packages over there? They were left out there for the world to see because you weren't here to take them in. Now, this is when the police starts getting um, more attention because now they're seeing that, hey, they've been standing outside this entire time watching over them. And they think that um, they're speedboat salesmen, even though that there's no lakes around where they live. <laughs> like, I, sell, I sell volcano insurance. Well, there's volcanoes around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I sell earthquake insurance, even though that there's no earthquake. But the Titanic plates do not uh, do not meet here. There are no lakes around here. Yeah, but some people like to go away on the weekends. Some people have fun. And again, emphasizing the whole oh, you know, the kids acting like adults and adults acting like children. I mean, they're eating marshmallows with jelly beans for dinner. I mean, like again, emphasizing like oh, they're just acting like a bunch of like you know self-privileged children with you know not wanting to listen to what the higher authorities have to say. Mm -hmm. Now here, in this book, uh, in the book, Matilda, um, Lavender caught the newt on her own, and she was not even surrounded by any of her friends whatsoever. She decided to catch the newt because she, she just so happened to have the idea of putting it over to Miss Trunchbull's glass of water overnight. Well, here, they decided to emphasize the fact that, hey, you know, they're starting to become more friends, and they're starting to learn more about newts, and they decided to you know, use the news as revenge for, you know, essentially, you know, treating Matilda horribly because, you know, Matilda was the one who brought them together as friends in the first place. Now, this particular scene, I think, is really well done because if you remember from Roald Dahl's childhood, it was a very similar situation in which when um, they decided to get revenge on a lady who ran a candy store and they decided to put a rat into it. And it was kind of like a very similar thing in which they, um, you know, wanted to see the reaction of the lady sticking the, uh, her hand into the candy bowl and pulling out a dead rat. And eventually they did get caught and they were punished for it, but they felt it was uh, kind of a nice little homage to Roald Dahl's childhood for having that in there. Mm -hmm. So these are the now, scenes I just kind of like want to sit back and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's like, oh, you know, we're it's not like we're riffing the movie or anything like that. I actually tried to do this a few years ago with my friend Jim when we were doing uh, a goofy movie, but we just ended up enjoying the movie so much. It's like, ah, eh, we don't care. I don't want to do the commentary anymore. Let's just watch it, enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, again, you know, this never happened in uh, the book in which, well, with Matilda ending up going over to the Chokey. But 
you know, Miss Trunchbull going over from classroom to classroom talking about, oh, you know, you are, you know, teaching uh, children horribly, you can treat them like this, it did actually happen in the book, but it happened like towards the end and not like towards the, you know, the, the second to third act. Interesting thing you've ever done. Oh my god, no. I mean, you see what these practical effects that they do, like, uh, you know. Uh... Sit down, yeah, like, for example, Pam Ferris, she is very tall, but she's not this tall. They decided to give her more effects by, like, you know, various camera angles and uh, d different shots to appear tall so that she can be able to seem intimidating to the children. Now, the scene with um, Amanda spelling difficulty did actually happen in the book. And um, this is definitely something that Roald Dahl would have put in. It's like, oh, I'm going to say a very unique way of spelling the word difficulty with Mrs. D, Mrs. I, Mrs. FFI, Mrs. C, Mrs. U, Mrs. LTY. Yeah, that 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 actually is hilarious. By the way, it's like, why are all these women married when you know she has no uh, condescending of the of the term marriage because you know she only cares about being an authoritarian to children. Uh, babe, just because you're a vag is an ashtray doesn't mean everyone else is. Uh, maybe, maybe so. So, from what I understand, they the, the kids were like legitimately laughing because. I, apparently, like, they didn't really know too much about, like, oh, you know, Mrs. Trunchbull is going to be drinking a newt from the water. So, you know, they those, like, those laughs that, you know, they, the children are doing are legit laughs. Like, they had no idea that this was going to happen. That's good direction if that's the case, you know, like, uh, you, you, if you want to get natural reactions, that's what you do. I mean, that's what they did with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, if you remember. Um, was it? Like, uh... Yeah, don't you remember, like, when, you know, uh, Gene Wilder was limping and they didn't know that he was pretending to limp oh yeah well, i remember like uh well didn't didn't gene wilder want to do that bit and he said he uh, would uh, refuse to go out if he didn't do if he didn't do it so like right, uh, that's yeah, exactly. yeah so like uh, i mean like uh, that didn't come from the director that came from him yeah well i mean like you know behind the scenes of course it's like oh you know i'm gonna do this and i'm not gonna tell anybody that we're doing this because i want a genuine reaction yeah Now, this is a really nice um, turnaround when Miss um, Trunchbull is talking to Matilda and basically, like, making her the lowest that she's ever been. And she even says a similar thing to what Mr. Wormwood said earlier in the movie, in which she was like, you know, I'm big and you're small, and I'm right and you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. Which he did say, which we said, uh, you know, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. Which, again, is playing into, you know, that full circle that we were talking about. And this is where her power starts coming into fruition in the book, where she actually tips the water and the nuke flies all over her. Apparently, from what I understand, great. That, this is awkward. <laughs> apparently, from what I understand, in like various commentaries and interviews, that Pam Ferris actually doesn't like lizards, so that's why she was kind of like freaking out the way she was. You, it didn't move. You did this. How could she possibly 
she was sitting way over here. Like, how would, I mean, have you ever been, like, intimidated by, like, a teacher? It's like, oh, you know, if you don't do this homework, you're going to get an F, or, you know, you're going to be sent over to the principal's office. Have, I mean, I'm sure that every kid at some point has been through a similar do you, situation. Do you want, you, I'll tell you a true story. Um, I once was intimidated by uh, one of my teachers, and uh, when I went to college, I once went walked past my school. I literally walked in, and uh, we just basically just... Uh, uh, kind of confronted him really and just said hey this is you know you told me that uh, this that and the other and uh, you know hey hey here I am doing this that and the other and uh, he um, I don't know he didn't I, I think we just kind of like uh, he kind of acknowledged it and then I think we kind of left it at that really and I have no idea what he's doing now but uh, you know just uh, yeah there was uh, there was that in incident that happened so like hmm, uh, interesting yeah. yeah as for me it was like a, a math teacher for me because i wasn't understanding math and this teacher clearly didn't care about teaching her students she just wanted to just say her stuff and then just get out of there mm -hmm. and um i had someone approach the teacher saying hey you know the students have been complaining and um they uh are not able to understand math very well can you help them out and she did it hesitantly she didn't do it in a way that it was like very nice and after a while, I stopped going to that teacher altogether and I got somebody else, which was definitely a major improvement over me learning how to do math. Now, in the book, when Matilda was attempting to uh, tip the glass over, she actually did. And the teacher was like, oh, my goodness, you know how to do that? And um, again, I'm really glad that they did not do that in the book, in the movie, because, yeah. again, it shows the relatability of M Matilda's, her being, like, absolutely perfect. Yeah, well, this is the thing, like, it doesn't uh, get to the, uh, I mean, this, this movie about is her about kind of, like, discovering herself in a way, so I think it's just, uh, to all of a sudden, just kind of, like, to do it out of the blue, I think wouldn't make all that much sense. I think it's something that she needs to kind of, like, you know, harness her powers, if you will. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if Avatar Aang mastered all the all the elements of like air, wind, you know, water, you know, water and you know, fire, like you know, like uh, you know, it'd be uh, what, it'd be, it'd be probably, a, it'd probably a show going three seasons long too many, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even with Korra, you know, even though that she mastered earth, air, uh, water, and fire, she had to still master air, and it was all about her getting into her spiritual self, which she was not being able to do. She was more focused on the physical stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was what played into the series. Okay, now we get into Miss Honey's backstory about um, her childhood, which uh, is almost done beat for beat, like in the book. But it's done really well in the movie, in which, you know, she kind of, like, doesn't tell her immediately that that was her childhood. Now, what's an interesting reference... I always keep forgetting the backstory, like, uh, it was... Uh... Because her um, her mother died, and then her father passed away. Out, uh, you know, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now it's never fully hinted in the book or in the movie of how, um, you know, her father died. Now in the book, it's kind of insinuating that maybe Miss Trunchbull killed him so that he, you know, she can be able to gain the inheritance of the money and the house. But in the movie, it's never stated that at all. Yeah, just, I think, uh, I don't know, like, uh, would, there be, would there be any, I mean, Miss Trunchbull's already uh, uh, terrible t to begin with, I mean, like, it would uh, her being in, in implicated in her, in, in Miss Honey's father's death really add any more gravity to the situation? Unless if we knew more about Miss Trunchbull's backstory, which we actually don't. 
There's no, you know, backstory of Ms. Trunchbull knowing about why she hates children or what her, what her upbringing was like before, you know, she was brought in to, um, you know, help raise uh, Miss Honey. I mean, it was mentioned that she was Miss um, Honey's mother's stepsister. So is she supposed to be like the ugly stepsister stereotype in which she's supposed to be like mean and nasty and jealous? Yeah, just like, uh, I mean, I would really be interested to see like Miss Trunchbull's, what her backstory actually was. Like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, my, my mother and father were Nazis and that's how I was brought up. You know, like, uh, I, I don't know, it's just something along those lines. Yeah, this is another thing that we have to say a lot in these Roald Dahl books is that there are so many backstories to characters that we want to know more of. Like, we would have loved to know more about the relationship between Luke's grandmother and the Grand High Witch, and we would have loved to know more about the other backstories for other characters, and it just leaves a lot to be desired. But um, the thing that I do appreciate in this movie is that in the original book, Miss Honey was poor, and I mean very poor. She had no furniture, she had no food, she had no water, she essentially told, you know, Matilda, hey, come have a seat. And it was just nothing but boxes. And the only thing that she was able to grab was like these two little cookies that were in her cellar that had nothing in it. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, you know, I know that they were trying to bring up the tragedy of Miss Honey. It's like, oh, you know, I ended up having to leave the only home that I have. And I was able to live in this essentially like a shack but in this one, they decided to give her that, oh, you know, she's a lot more stable and she's able to get out of her aunt's shadow, even though that she wants to go back to her home so badly. And um, and then, you know, we have this scene right here in which they actually do venture into the old house, which they do twice. And it, they never did that in the book. Um, she also um, seems to give her a bit more backstory in this way. She like uh, she seems to have uh, appeared in the 1972 Olympics. Well, yeah, I mean, it was mentioned briefly in the book about, like, how she was in the Olympics and, you know, she did chop put, j- hammer throw, and javelin. And, by the way, that wasn't a real cat that she kicked, well, obviously, yeah. because Pam Ferris loves cats. And mm-hmm. when she heard that she was going to be doing that scene, she was upset because mm-hmm. she loves animals so much. Yeah. The other thing about this, like, a lot of people must have left this movie feeling pretty upset, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the kid has to end up eating all that chocolate cake, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> Mr. John has ended up kicking a cat, you know, like, uh, Exactly. <laughs> Throwing a child around outside of the window, okay, and there are the, the, the rap party must have been, the, the rap party must have been pretty, di- pretty dismal, dismal affair, I must say. <laughs> Oh, by the way, like, uh, we uh, we have this scene where she's, um, obviously, uh, her car breaks down, and, uh, oh, we are not got to that part yet, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm just looking at the original house, I mean, like, uh, is, the, is the original house still around uh, at the minute, or uh, is that... Uh, this scene right here? Yeah. Maybe it is. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, because usually when it comes to, like, various houses, they either rent them or... Um, you know, they would have them on display somewhere, but yes, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the house is still there, or maybe if it's not there, maybe it's in, not it's an original place, then maybe they probably Oh, here it, we which... go. Yeah. Like, there we go. This is interesting, like, uh, did she have to, like, you know, I'm assuming that they probably would have, um, I don't know, maybe there's maybe probably something underneath helping her kind of, like, drag the car yeah, probably, around. Yeah, lift the car, yeah. yeah. Probably, like, uh, ice to, like, help ease, like, to push the car, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is just to, you know, emphasize about how strong she is, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Now, here's a thing that's actually based off of Roald Dahl's real life in which, like, you know, after dinner, they would, you know, his family would be gathered around and they would have, like, a piece of chocolate because Roald Dahl just loved chocolate. I mean, we already knew about from his childhood when uh, Cadbury used to go over to his school and they would test out chocolates. And that was the inspiration for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting yeah, to see we in this world where the chocolate comes from. <laughs> Maybe a certain Mr. Wonka. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. The chocolate came from Willy Wonka's factory. It's canon. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the way it all ties together, like, do you think eventually Roald Dahl would have, like, maybe wrote a book where all the main characters kind of, like, got together, like, in in an Avengers kind of way, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if he was still alive, and I'm sure that if, uh, you know, he saw how popular, like, crossovers were with, like, comic books, then I'm sure he he probably would have done something like that. Mm-hmm. Why is there a red marker across the? Uh, oh, I know, it's the red diesel that's in the in the car, isn't it? Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two particular references to Roald Dahl. The first one is the painting of Miss Honey's father, and that is actually a portrait of Roald Dahl himself. Cool. And those were like nicknames that he actually called to his daughter. Like he called her like, you know, his um, little flower. I think he called that to Lucy, I believe. And then obviously is the more obvious reference, which is the Lissy doll, you know, which was Miss Honey's doll, and is obviously based off of Lissy doll, who is Roald Dahl's widow, and who is the producer of this movie. Yeah, like, I, even though this scene was not in the book, it's actually one of my favorite scenes, because once again, very similar to what they did for Bruce Rogtrotter eating the chocolate, there is so much tense moments and so much suspense about, like, whether Miss Honey and Matilda were going to get caught. I, I always loved watching that scene whenever I saw the movie as a kid. Yeah. Mind you, like, it wasn't all that intimidating. Like, even if... Uh... Even if she did catch him, what she was gonna do? Like, you know, just like I mean, would call the police him. saying, like, you know, those people like, you know, trespass in my house. Hmm. Because I mean she was even mentioning about that when she was confronting the children. It's like, do you know it's illegal for somebody to go into your home without their permission? So yeah, she probably would have called the cops on them. Okay. And the fact that Matilda, you know, her family was already in trouble with the police to begin with, I mean, that probably would have added in more uh reason of, you know, to arrest the the wormwoods. Okay. So, well, yeah, we get to the scene where it's, uh... B-5-0-fum, motherfucker. Uh, yeah. So, obviously, because this scene is not in the book, they decided to make it a more a suspense moment. It's kind of like when they introduced Slugworth into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory to give a villain, because there was none in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But again, very similar to how Slugworth was done, uh, this scene actually works really well, and I think that... You know, again, uh, I know that they probably needed to, like, you know, put in some more scenes that they felt that would interest kids. It's like, okay, we're going to have a scene in which when Miss Trunchbull is going to see who's the one invading her house and Miss Honey and Matilda need to find ways of hiding in very unique situations. Like, right here in this situation, like... Like, who does that, by the way? Like, who, you know, bolts down the backyard door? Like, who does that? A psychopath like Miss Trunchbull, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, that would really break your ankles. I mean, she's wearing boots, so maybe that's, you know, like, you know, 
uh, compressing the pressure and the weight. Now, what's interesting here is that obviously this is like a follow-up shot where you know you get to see Miss Trunchbull from the back, and you get to see the surrounding um, scene where you know obviously we have the door being bolted, the closet door being open, all the pots and pans falling all over, and it's obvious that hey, if a person's going to be hiding, the most obvious place is under the table. Hmm. You know, it'd be funny if, like if she was like uh, like doing the splits like on the ceiling, something like that, like uh, just. Uh... Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> That would hurt. I mean, you were saying about, like, you know, Mr. Wormwood, like, you actually felt the pressure on your head when, you know, Mrs. Wormwood was, like, cutting around his hair. I felt that. Yeah. I felt that pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now... Now, there's the cake, obviously, and, you know, here she is, like, eating it like a maniac. And this is, you know, obviously, like, you know, showcasing about, like, how much of a savage she is, even when she's just, like, eating a regular piece of cake. It doesn't make all that much sense, really, when, uh, like, uh, how on earth can she be that strong yet? She eats all that fat. You know, like... Uh... What, she, she injecting herself with steroids or something? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah, that one was... It's roid rage, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go, it's roid, hey, roid rage. <laughs> that explains it. I mean, the fact that, you know, she was once in the Olympics and she actually did, you know, shot put, hammer throw, and javelin, which requires, like, a good throwing arm and a lot of strength for you to be able to throw that far and that quickly. I'm sure that, you know, she still has that strength, especially if she does it a lot more. I mean, that's where she was planning on going to when she was in the car. She was planning on probably, like, practicing her throws. She probably does that, like, on a spare time. I wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, a bunch of, like dummies of little children that where she, you know, tries to practice, you know, crashing into them. You sure she's still gonna call the police? Yeah, she probably could have. That would have made a lot more sense. But, you know, knowing Miss Trunchbull, she's like, you know, action first, logic later. Or never. <laughs> but yeah, the, the most obvious thing she could have done is to call the police. And maybe, like, stand near the door, or, um, maybe, like, other places where they could have escaped. That way, um, you know, they wouldn't have, but no, she decided to take matters into her own hands. And this is actually going to be, um, a crucial thing later on when Matilda goes back to the house for the second time. And also, it's to, you know, showcase about oh how God, much imagine, a imagine being Miss Trunchbull's neighbor is like, uh, yeah. Hey, Ma, that cokehead's out on the lawn again. Uh, you know, go get the the funnel of, um, you know, <laughs> calmness, and let's see if we can ease her up a bit. <laughs> get the color blue. <laughs> <laughs> get the color blue. The calming color. <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. Well, anyway. So, I think that, uh, again, you know, th th this movie has, like, great foreshadowing in which when we see that Matilda knows about the house in and out because she went through there, and this gives her more of the idea of possibly going back to the house to retrieve Lissy Doll for Miss Honey. Mm -hmm. Oh, they were married in Vegas, of course. Not too surprised. 
And of course, like, she's, like, so easing up to the police officers, thinking that, you know, they're obviously speedboat salesmen. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they're able to go into the house so easily and just, like, be so comfortable. I mean, if there was ever a case in which they do interrogate, they'll be like, oh, you know. I mean, look, even the police officer is, like, holding a recorder to Mrs. Miss Wormwood. And it's like, really, what speedboat salesman has a recorder in his hand? Now, here's where she introduces the idea about, okay, the more that her father yells at her, the stronger that her powers are. Now, in the book, the way that she was able to practice her powers is that she took one of her father's cigars from his cigar box, and she constantly practiced lifting up the cigar telepathically every day after school. And, you know, she's being fueled by her father's hatred and anger, and as well as Miss Trunchbull's anger and hatred. So it's almost kind of like, like how a ghost works, you know? Like, remember the dad who, like, uh, he has to get angry to, like, kick stuff and move stuff around? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but instead of, you know, obviously using, oh, um, I'm going to use my father's cigar to practice my telekinetic powers, I'm just going to use, like, everyday objects, which obviously would be something that a kid would use. Mm -hmm. Kind of sad, though, like, uh, her, her powers are pretty much uh, fueled by hatred of uh, other things around her. Yeah. In the book, it was explained about the reason why her powers were fueled was because she had so much intelligence, like, crammed up into her brain that she was never able to release it. But in this movie, they decided to make hatred and anger toward her father and towards Miss Trunchbull the cause of her powers. And, of course, we have the other most well-known song in this uh, movie, other than the one that we just talked about earlier, uh, which happens to be this one. And I think, uh, you know, for a lot of people who uh, may have seen this movie, this is probably the first time that they heard about this song, which is called The It'll, uh, Little Bitty Bitty Pretty One, which is done by Thurston Harris. Mm. And it was uh, basically, again, basically this montage is everything you saw in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned about the uh, trailer because, um, you know, when they, they showed the trailer, they actually did show those songs all the time. And I think, you know, very similar to what happened to the previous songs we were talking about earlier in the, in the commentaries, like, this song actually had gotten pretty popular on the radio. And people were popular. Yeah. I just think they had to wriggle all the practical effects for this. Obviously, the, uh, the, the floating stuff, obviously, is CGI, but, uh, I mean, like... Uh, well, I mean, they pretty much have to rig up the house kind of the same way. Probably they have to do Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit, pretty much, uh, to get it all yeah. kind of functioning. Yeah, and because of this scene, we have the Matilda challenge. If you remember that, it's uh, the challenge in which, like, a whole bunch of people would be turning on and off lights and moving chairs and various things. It was hugely popular on YouTube for a number of years. So, now, we, here we get to the point where, I mean, this is interesting because obviously the police have, like, she's tolerated them for a while because she wants uh, her father to get her comeuppance at some point, but uh, uh, eventually she doesn't want them to get too far, obviously, so uh, she's uh, obviously playing around with them at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, she knows that if the police are able to get any proof of the father having stolen car parts, which we know that he has, then obviously he would be arrested and put into jail. But because, you know, she wants to give her father a break and hopefully that he'll learn his lesson, then she decides to play around with the police officer saying, okay, I'm not going to put up with you guys anymore. I'm going to, you know, delay you guys from doing what you need to do. And she even mentioned about, like, you can't, you know, search the house without a warrant, which obviously you can't. No. But they decided, hey, because we're so comfortable with Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood, because they think that we're speedboat salesmen, they'll never suspect that we're in their garage looking around for stolen car parts. There you go. That's you it. Go. It was that easy. You know what would be funny? I really like her that if, uh, you know, uh, um, Newman saw, like, the uh, the kind of the craziness that kind of, like, Matilda could do in the house, and, like, I could just turn around to him and say, Hey, little Pee-wee, like, your house is crazier than that, okay? <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> now, obviously, you know, Matilda going over to Miss Trunchbull's house, you know, this, now that she has mastered her powers... Uh, is, you know, actually a really nice um, turnaround from when she was scared to go over to the house because, you know, she was being intimidated, but now that she has these powers, she has the upper hand, which is actually a great reversal. And of course, you get comfortable. food, you're an animal. Brilliant. So, this is where all the craziness starts to begin. Yeah, which, again, I know it's not in the book, but I think it works really well here. Yeah. Because, you know, Matilda is able to have, like, a nice turnaround from when she was afraid to when she has the power to, you know, conquer her principle that has been really new to her. You know, I mean, she's, like, pretty content with, like, the fireplace and... Uh, eating chocolate that was in the wrapper, sure. So I don't. I never. I never know anybody who does that. No, I don't either. I mean, I. I think I heard of some people like they would eat the chocolate with the wrapper on, and then they would just like peel the wrapper from their mouth. It's like that's really weird. I know. Like, why would you do that? Okay. I mean, no, it's yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of like eating yeah. chewing gum with a foil still on it. Like, yeah. yeah, that is weird. Yeah. When, when I'm listening to the music from David Newman, it, doesn't it almost give you, like, a Danny Elfman kind of vibe to it? Yeah. Like, well, you have to go in these directions, haven't you, with types of scenes like this. Like, uh, I think if they kind of, like, played it more for, for laughs, really, I think it'll, uh, it really doesn't kind of match the tone. So, like, yeah, uh, it, this, this, isn't, this cool. isn't Ghostbusters shit that's going down here right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, of course not. But it's definitely a much more consistent soundtrack than something that we saw from The Witches, in which they didn't really know what to do with certain scenes. Mm -hmm. So, um, interesting that, uh, did they actually put Mara Wilson on a roof? Yeah, that's, that's what happened, yeah. So Mara Wilson is climbing up onto the roof so that, you know, obviously, you know, they have, like, the string, you know, where the doll is being done while, you know, there's a bunch of wind that's being, um, you know, blowing up. Yeah. There's some foreshadowing for you. Mm-hmm. You gotta love foreshadowing. She could really care less about this house, wouldn't she? 
Yeah, and, and, and just that scene right over there where there's a bit of a goof, it's like, you know, just when she was about to walk over to the window, she was already by the window looking at her teacher. So it's like, oh, she teleported! <laughs> That's what she knows how to do now. Yeah. Yeah, now she's gonna mess around with Miss Trunchbull a lot more. Obviously, to showcase that, hey, maybe the house is haunted, and maybe yeah. that she should no longer uh, live in the oh, house, you know, to I like how, a bit of... I like how it's all lit, like, it's just, it's, uh, the only thing that's producing light right now is obviously the fireplace, and, uh, just, yeah. it's, it's, it's very dark and grim, and, uh... Yeah, it's kind of like similar to um, A Christmas Carol in which, you know, um, Ebenezer Scrooge, the only thing that he has lit in his house is just a little tiny fire because he doesn't want to waste um, money on coal and wood. So the only thing that's lit up is obviously the fire from the fireplace. And obviously there's some lights in the background which are totally unneeded because, you know, she has the light from the fireplace, but the light all around are still there. And again, it's this is good ghost. shadowing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's good foreshadowing later on because when, you know, she thought that, oh, Matilda may have, like, snuck into my house when she finds the ribbon, now she thinks that, oh, it's the ghost of Magnus, you know, taking revenge on Miss Trunchbull for... You know, kicking her daughter out, treating her cruelly, and, um, you know, stealing her money, and, you know, maybe possibly killing him? It's not really into that, but that could be a possibility, too. Like, how would you feel in a situation It's like, oh, everything from your house is falling apart, you know, lights are going off, stuff is being trampled all over the stairs, things are flying up into the air, I mean, you'll be scared out of your mind. <laughs> This is you know, like, I mean, it's uh, because you know it's Matilda doing all of this, it's like, uh, you don't really see, like, the intimidation of it, so you kind of, uh, at least I didn't anyway. So it's like, it was, uh, I don't, I don't no, see, we, I, I, have I missed this? What's the significance of, like, the, 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 the clock turning midnight and, like, the clock turning in, like, hourly basis? I, it's like, you know, time is going so quickly, it's like, how is it doing that on its own? Like, what would happen is like, oh, it's one, 9 o'clock one moment, and then it's like 5 o'clock in the morning in the other. Mm -hmm. Just like two seconds. Oh, here we go. This is when Miss Trunchbull finds out who was the one responsible. You know what, like, uh, they shouldn't have, like, I, I think they should have pointed this out right away. Like, I think they should have just kind of like, left it there like it was, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the bushes. And then, like, uh, it would have, you should have found out. Eventually, that I mean, was to her. Fair, to be fair, it was a windy night, and we did see the ribbon flying all over the place. So yeah, but I it's it like I would have like liked to have seen like uh, you know Miss Trunchbull had like a, a like went round the house with a fine tooth comb and then found the ribbon by on her own accord, rather than kind of like the wind just kind of handed it to her in her car. If that makes mm. sense, like sure. uh, you know, it would have added more to the intimidation. I would have thought. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. See, Kyle Trunchbull. 
Yeah, and you can definitely see that, you know, she is a wreck. Her hair is all a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, she looks a little bit tired and she's like walking really, you know, nervously in a bit. And yeah, you can definitely tell that she's up to something. Yeah, and this is great foreshadowing because she's knowing about what, you know, Magnus called Trunchbull and what was her nickname so that later on she would write it to the chalkboard to think that that was the ghost of Magnus trying to get revenge on uh, Miss Trunchbull for how he treated his daughter. Yeah. I would like, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, is it coming a bit soon? I'm mean, sorry, is it like... Uh... Um, the fact that they're talking about this now, rather than like, uh, I thought maybe they would sort of come up in conversation when they were in the house. Um, well, they did actually have that conversation in the house, uh, where she was mentioning about like, oh, you know, I called him uh, King Magnus and he called me Bumblebee, but, you know, she never mentioned about what, you know, uh, Miss Trunchbull's first name was. I mean, that was never brought up because that was what they're, you know, that was what... That was not in their intentional minds when they saw the the doll in her oh, this, old room for the first time. This is the bit when Miss Honey discovers that uh, Miss Zelda has mind powers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even though in the book she already knew that she had mind powers, she found that out much sooner. But yeah, this is actually a great scene in which like she's fully mastered her powers and she is not going to take any crap from Miss Trunchbull anymore. Yeah, she means business. Get against the wall, against that wall, quickly! Don't make me wait. Water and hold the newt. Join the ranks. Move. Oh yeah, she looked really pissed because she knows that she was the one responsible for causing all that mess, even though. I mean, I can understand, like, the, you know, the, the window shutting down and maybe, like, the lights going on and off. But how is she going to explain to Matilda, you were the one responsible for, you know, moving my picture from the wall to the fireplace and then floating the picture in from the room to the living room? How is she going to explain that? I think that she's a raging lunatic. It's just like that scene in James and the Giant Peach in which, you know, the the ants are being rational and then they start getting an axe and chopping the kid, you know, trying to chop the kid's head off. I mean, you should know when because it happened last night. <laughs> Well, they don't know, except for Matilda. <laughs> of course they don't know. None of the children know, except for Matilda and Miss Honey. Yeah. Without their permission? Yes, Miss Stand up straight, some again, <laughs> Do any of you recognize this? Yeah, like, would they recognize a little ribbon where any of their friends could have worn? Ribbon belong to. I shall 
She's saying this is very dignified, isn't she? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah, I mean that's something that you could report over to the principals. Like, I mean, well, not the principal, the the school counselors. Like, oh yeah, by the way. You know, this this the principal of this school is being a raging lunatic. She almost tried to break my arm. Now, this is actually what happened in the book. Obviously, this is yeah. This as you say, this out of all the intimidation that happened, this is the only one that kind of like was in the book, really. Like, Pretty much, yeah. Now what they now how they did this was is that somebody was in the back of the blackboard and writing the whole thing backwards, and the magnet there was a magnet attached to the chalk, so it made it look like it was writing. Mm. I hope they were able to do the effect. Oh jeez. <laughs> Yeah, like, the, now in the book, that was supposed to be it. Like, the moment that Miss Trenchville saw that, she ran away and she completely disappeared for good. But in this one, it's like, you know, this teacher has done, this principal has done so much bad things to these children. It's like, let's torture her some more because that's fun. I thought, I thought Miss uh, Pony actually, uh, I thought it was actually kind of different a little bit, really. I thought, uh, because I remember, like, um, I, don't know, I guess I remember it backwards, I think, from last I watched this movie. But, uh, oh. Yeah, like, she fainted, and then, um, then, you know, she started, like, doing a whole bunch of stuff to the children for revenge. But, yeah, um, from what I understand, what the moment that Pam Ferris fainted in this particular scene, apparently, like, she, like, twisted a finger or something, or, oh, like, geez. Broke something like a like a um, like a pinky or a thumb, but yeah, like that fall like was hard. It was really hard, and she had to continue going through with it, even though there was, she was going through a little bit of pain. So in the second form of the final boss. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because this is like pretty consistent with Miss Trunchbull. It's like, oh yeah, I'm angry. I'm gonna throw you out the window. And obviously, this was blue screened while the chick was hanging around in a harness. That's how they were able to do the effect. But you can definitely tell, by the way. <laughs> How they were able to do the spinning? <laughs> I love how I love how Miss Honey's getting in on the act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like how they were able to do the spinning globe scene is that they actually did have like uh, various cameras. Like they had a camera where they were like you know where she was in it where they were spinning, and uh, this particular scene again, this is where she got like really really nauseous. Like she was like legitimately nauseous when you know she was like thrown off, and she actually did get injured. I think that she injured her head when she was at the table. So yeah, Pam Ferris is like going all over for this. She got really sick. She was nauseous. She hit her head. She almost broke her thumb or her pinky, I forget which finger, but yeah, oh. like she was 
she was going through a lot in this. Yeah. Game. I mean, is she like, did she not like any stunt women or anything like that? We're doing, you know. How, how she... many people do you know of who look like that? Uh, well, you could. Uh, no further questions. <laughs> no, she did her own stunts, even though that she did get, uh, you know, injured for this. And obviously, you know, the whole food fight thing didn't happen in the book, but it's like, oh yeah, you know, we're kids and we, you know, are the um, the, uh, the higher ups, we're going to take down the adults. So yeah, they decided to like emphasize the fact it's like, yeah, this is the final final part of the, you know, defeating the boss in this video game. Let's, let's give her all that she deserves. Death to the dictator. And there we go. <laughs> Jake. Great full circle. The cafeteria lady's enjoying herself. Yeah. Well, she didn't pay me enough anyway. <laughs> she didn't appreciate all the times I made her chocolate cake. She deserved it. The Trunchbull is gone. You would have thought for like a final act, she would like try to drive the kid, drive into the kids or something like that, but no. Oh yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's 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 cause more uh, damage for Miss Trunchbull, sure. Yeah. So, how is it legally that Miss Honey now owns the house? I mean, she owned the house technically to begin with. I mean, in the book. It was discussed about how, um, you know, Miss Trunchbull, like, kicked, you know, was kind of responsible for the death of Mr. Honey, and that, you know, everything, you know, they found a will for Mr. Honey saying that Miss Honey owned everything legally, so that's how she was able to get the house back. Now, there's a few scenes, obviously, like, you know, when Miss uh, Miss Matilda was talking about, like, you know, did you know that the, the mouse beats 650 beats per minute, which is obviously from the witches, that's something that Luke and his grandmother talked about. And then we have the scene in which when the police are after the Wormwood, then they're like, oh man, we need to get out of here. In the book, they went to Spain. Yeah. But in the movie, they went to Guam because it's a U.S. Um, you know, territory. Yeah, which doesn't make all... I mean, I mean, the man just said that they were driven guns to Spain. Like, uh, like a, lot of people, a lot of criminal <laughs> enterprises hang out there, pretty much. So, like, mm -hmm. really so, well, I mean, I think that because it was a more towards American audience, it's like Guam would be a lot easier to go to than, you know, Spain because... Well, why, why they just say, oh, we're going to drive to Mexico? Like, you know, like... Well, uh, yeah, they could have gone to Mexico, too. Yeah, because, you know, like, yeah. uh, what? So if, if it's, it's good enough for Sarah Connor, but apparently it's not good enough for, uh, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood. No, I mean, maybe, maybe with going to Guam, maybe you don't need a passport. Maybe they just need to leave at the last minute. I'm saying Guam, they're not, they're not like full American citizens in Guam, are they? They're just, um, they're just I mean, like U.S. territory people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just U.S. territory people, exactly. And yeah, you can actually hear the, the police sirens in the background. Showing that, you know, they don't have a lot of time. They have to leave there immediately. And yeah, this is the scene that is actually from the book in which when Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood decide to let Miss Honey adopt Matilda. And oh, I guess I she just has these like all these all this paperwork filled out. <laughs> she's ready to go. All yeah, I mean, she, said that she, she said that she's been waiting for this for a very, very long time. She said that she's known how to do, do this since she learned about how Xerox works. So yeah, she's been waiting for this for a while. 
And yeah, I mean, the only person who was like really sad about her leaving was Michael in the book because, you know, he really liked Matilda. But because they decided to make Michael, you know, a bully, it's like, oh, you know, her parents are gone and now it's just her and Miss Honey together. And that's basically the start of their new lives together. I like to think the the um, log the lo the logical reason that Danny DeVito was narrating is probably because he's probably Mr. Wormwood who kind of like regrets everything that he did, and <laughs> now he kind of like just tells it. He he, he later finds out about yeah the story about it, about his daughter and decides to kind of tell everybody about it. I mean, personally, for me, I don't think it makes that much sense. But if we are to go through that in that weird perspective, then sure. <laughs> But yeah, I, and they, the whole thing about the epilogue with Miss Honey being the principal as opposed to the superintendent who just became the principal for some reason actually makes a lot more sense that Miss Honey was the one who became the principal of the school and that everybody loved it so much they decided to increase the grade of the school. Again, you know, going more into making it more personal as opposed to like just some random guy that we never see before. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I mean, 